Well, good morning, church. A pastor noticed a little girl standing outside the preschool Sunday school classroom with a picture she held under her arms. It was a picture of Jonah and the whale. Well, the pastor decided to have a little fun and play the devil's advocate, and he said to her, what's that you have in your hand? Well, this is a picture of the story of Jonah and the whale, she answered. Well, you don't actually believe that story, do you, he asked. Why, of course I believe it. I mean, you really believe, the pastor continued, you really believe that a man can be swallowed up by a big fish, stay inside of him all that time, and come out okay? Oh, yes, she said confidently. This story's in the Bible. I know it's true. Well, can you prove it's true? He pressed a little bit more. The girl thought for a moment and said, well... When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. Well, the pastor pushed a little bit further. What if Jonah's not in heaven? Well, the girl put her hands on her hips and declared, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> I, think, I think he met her ma- his match. Well played. You don't actually believe. You don't actually believe. It's a question asked by skeptics to Christianity. And if you're honest, there have been times in your life, even as a follower of Jesus, that you might have had your doubts. I mean, is all this just, just wishful thinking? I mean, I mean, what if? What if there is no afterlife? What if this life is all there is? And then the temptation then is, well, if that's the case, I, I, I better get what I can now. You know, YOLO, right? You only live once. YOLO, it was a slang term, became popular 10 years ago. I think the phrase has kind of disappeared. But its philosophy is still very much alive. You only live once. One person observed that we're living in a day which can be likened to the sinking of the Titanic. That the philosophy seems to be, if you're going to be a passenger aboard the sinking Titanic, you might as well go first class. Really? I mean, are you living as if this life is all there is? What if this Easter story is something I just want to be true, not wanting death to have the final say? I mean, what if... Jesus did not rise from the dead. Well, that leads me to our passage this morning that we're going to look at. And so if you're not there, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's in the New Testament, after the Gospels, and after Romans, then you'll find Acts, Romans, and you'll find 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 15. In a moment, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 34. But in this section we're looking at today, God through Paul the Apostle addresses an issue that had crept into the church. And actually, uh, the church in Corinth was facing many problems that the church today also faces. And that's why we're going to be looking at some of those issues when we tackle uh, what we believe about the church in an eight-week sermon series beginning in May as we'll look at selected passages throughout uh, 1 Corinthians. 
But what is the specific issue that Paul is addressing in chapter 15? Well, the church in Corinth was denying all hope of a future resurrection of our physical bodies. Well, where'd they get that idea? Well, the pagans in that day believed that the soul was eternal, but that the body, the physical body, was evil. And they taught that the body is kind of this prison that we have to live in now, but when we die, that will be the end of it. No more physical bodies going on in the afterlife. And so the problem in the church that Paul the writer under the superintending of God is addressing is that some were embracing this pagan philosophy. They were denying that our bodies are resurrected. And interestingly enough, though, they still held on to the belief that Jesus was resurrected, but that human bodies cannot survive death. But they were not denying the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection wasn't the issue for him. It was in, in believing that we are resurrected too. And so then the temptation for the church, and it's a temptation alive and well for us as well today, is to adopt this mindset that says you only live once, you might as well get as much out of this life that you can. Perhaps you're living that way. Well, Paul plays the devil's advocate to make his point. He argues from a very logical position. I'm going to give you four statements this morning. The first statement is Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection are inseparable. Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection are inseparable. That's where Paul goes first. You can't take a resurrected Jesus and deny a future resurrection. All right, I hope you're looking in your Bibles with me. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 12. But it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there's no resurrection, meaning our, us as our bodies, there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if human bodies cannot survive death, then Christ's body did not survive death because his was a human body. You see, at the very heart of our faith is the empty tomb that could not be and never has been explained away. And the people Paul is writing knew that there was way too much evidence for Jesus' resurrection. There were, there were over 500 witnesses, most eyewitnesses, most of whom were still alive. And they could have, if they doubted, gone and asked any of those eyewitnesses if they needed more evidence about Jesus' resurrection. And they would say, yeah, we saw him. But for the people Paul is writing to, and it's a contemporary problem in the church today. They were living as if this life is all there is. They were not living like people who believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Paul goes on, goes there with them, and, and he asks, what if Jesus did not rise from the dead? What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? It kind of leads to our second statement, is a, live, a life lived for earth alone needs no Christ. A life lived for earth alone needs no Christ. So what if Christ did not rise from the dead? Well, then the following things are true. There are several things here he mentions that are true. If Christ did not rise from the dead. Verse 14, he gives his first one. If Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching's useless, so is your faith. Do you see what this is saying? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we would not have one page of the New Testament. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the apostles would have no gospel to preach. We would have no story to tell. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there's no Easter story, 
then honestly, you should get rid of me as your pastor. Honestly. You should, you should cancel all services. You should shut down the church. I mean, you can read all the books you want. You can go to every Bible study you can. I can preach until I have no energy left. We can build the biggest church in the region. We can fill our schedule with all kinds of church activities. If the tomb is not empty, everything we're doing as a church is a total waste of time. Total waste of time. And it's rather bizarre, bizarre to me anyway, that preachers who do not believe that Jesus is alive and do not believe what the Bible teaches about this Jesus can stand up front each Sunday and have anything to say. What is there to preach about? What can they talk about for 10, 20, 30 minutes themselves? Or, or, or can they tell everyone, oh, just how oh, you're so nice and good and you guys are doing great. Keep going. Is that it? Pick and choose maybe some things Jesus said that make for ni some nice uh, moral stories. Tim Keller said this. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? <laughs> why dabble in religion? What good is that? It's useless. It's a total waste of time. More than that, he goes on, verse 14, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? He gives another reason here. This is what's also true. We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul is saying that he and the other apostles have been the world's greatest liars. That's what's true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead. What if Christ did not rise from the dead? Okay, this is also true, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Futile means that which produces no results. It's, uh, it would be like your faith is, is like a trip with no destination. Your faith is like a story with no end. It's like a seed that produces no crop, a game with no winners, a graduation ceremony with no diplomas. What if Christ didn't rise from the dead? If Jesus remained in the tomb, then when he said, it is finished, what is finished? The power of the cross is the resurrection. N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, it's only the resurrection that makes crucifixion appear anything other than a horrible end for another failed Messiah. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Jesus is finished. The story is over. And worst of all, church, we are still in our sins. We have no forgiveness. We must live with all our what-ifs in life, all our regrets, all our guilt, and we stand guilty before a holy God if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Because Jesus did not come. He did not come to give us a new moral system to live by. He did not come to give us an example to follow. No, he came to pay the penalty for our sins by taking our place on the cross. And the resurrection is God's full acceptance of that payment. The resurrection is the vindication of Jesus and that Jesus proved right. And what he said, who he said he was and what he came to do. Easter, the resurrection, is God's amen to Jesus's, it is finished. See, there's no salvation for sin unless there's a living Savior. There's no salvation for sin unless Jesus is alive. 
Only through Jesus can we stand prepared, ready to meet God. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? When Tom flunked out of college, he was scared to go home and face his dad. So he figured it might help if he got word to his mother first. He might soften it a little bit. So he emailed his mom, flunked out, be home tomorrow, prepare dad. (laughs) Well, later that day, he received a reply from his mom that said, dad prepared, prepare yourself. (laughs) Not bad advice. What if it's true that Jesus was raised from the dead? What if this life isn't all there is? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. All right, Paul mentions one other thing that is true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now, when he says fallen asleep, he's not speaking to soul sleep at all. It's where we get our word cemetery. It literally means a sleeping place. But the thought is that those who go to sleep expect to wake up eventually. I mean, that's your hope. In the same way, followers of Jesus who have died will wake up in eternity. I think right then. But if Christ is not risen from the dead, then death wins. There's no hope for anyone on the other side of the grave. This life is all there is. A life lived for earth alone needs no Christ. But you say, well, but to live as if we have hope in Christ and be wrong is still better than to not live for him at all. Okay, I see where you're going with that. Paul would disagree in this context. Paul would disagree. In verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We are to be pitied. If we believe in an afterlife and there's not to be, there's not, uh, to be a resurrection then our darkness is all the darker for it. To trade this limited life for eternal life and there not be one is foolish. If we only have hope in Him for this life only, then what a pitiful bunch of people we are. That's what he says. We would have turned from the things of this world to follow Him. We would have been ridiculed. Some cases some are persecuted. We would, have been, we would have served him even when it was inconvenient. We would, have, we would have done all of that and much more. All for nothing. Unless the resurrection is true. The critics who say that Christians are fools and we're crazy, we're few fries short of a happy meal, they are correct. Unless it is true. The critic Richard Dawkins, writer of God Delusion, he characterized belief in God as delusional. He is correct, unless it is true. To believe in a God who would crucify his son in our place is insane, unless it is true. And thank God for verse 20 here, our third statement. The future has broken into this world. Paul doesn't leave us there. Verse 20, two words, but now. Consider how much hangs on those two words, but now. But now. But now. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, 
When it speaks of first fruits, it points to more is coming. That first apple in the tree, more is coming. That first strawberry, more is coming. The first showing of barley harvest, and that day especially, is evidence to, to more to come. It was a very happy day when you saw the first fruits, for you knew there was a bigger harvest coming. And that's why he says in verse 23, but each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, he goes first. And then when he comes, all those who belong to him will then go and be resurrected. So what is to come in the future is broken into this world because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came back from the dead never to die again. And one day, he will return king of kings. That's what verses 20 through 28 get into and I'm not spending a lot of time in that. Sorry about that. But one day, he will return as king of kings and on that day, all those who have died will receive resurrected bodies. See, it's no small thing to say that those who are now dead will someday rise and live again. For the future broke into this world when Christ rose up from the grave. One Sunday afternoon, a dad and his son were driving around and they happened to go past a cemetery. And this five-year-old, as they're going past the cemetery, noticed a large pile of dirt Next to a freshly dug grave. He saw this big pile of dirt next to a freshly dug grave. And he shouted out, look, Dad, one got out. <laughs> one got out. Well, the dad commented that every time since then, when I pass the cemetery, I'm reminded of the one who got out. <laughs> and because Jesus got out, the future broke into this world. He broke into our worlds. What are the implications of that? Well, there's a lot. Let me just give you a couple here as we stick to our passage. But because Jesus got out, uh, here's an implication of it. And, and one of them, one of the things, one of the applications of that, one of the things we look forward to is that even though there are many delights in this life, right? There's of taste and smell and sounds and sights and touch. I mean, some beautiful things in this, in this world that we can enjoy and take in, Right? But how many of you would trade your bodies right now in for a new one? Right? I mean, you, right. I mean, if you're honest, you would. I mean, I wake up in the morning with a new pain and I'm saying, what in the world did I do? I just slept last night. How is this possible? And some of you young folks here are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. You wait. It's coming. This body doesn't work as it should. We do all we can, we use all the duct tape we want to get these bodies to work, to look better, that's fine, but they still break down. Further down in this chapter, I'm not looking at these verses, but you can read it for yourself, verses 37 through 49. It speaks of the glorious physical bodies that we will receive in heaven. That, that, we, that we can experience, what we can experience with these temporary bodies will be transformed, enhanced, enriched. And with glorious new bodies, think of this with me, all, all our sensual delights will be enjoyed in a fuller, more lasting, deeper way than what we experience in this life with these physical bodies. Oh, that would be glory. I think at times we tend to downplay the significance of our physical bodies. Scripture speaks of our body being bought with a price and that we ought to glorify God in our bodies. See, God will not desert the body in the grave. Our physical bodies will be with us throughout eternity, but transformed into glorious bodies. Oh, what a happy day that will be. But what if Christ did not rise from the dead? We have no hope 
that our unfulfilled desires of this life will be satisfied in the life to come. That's one implication of that. Well, let's think on this some more. What's another practical implication of the fact that Christ did rise from the dead? Uh, Well, you know, if he didn't, if he didn't, there would be no answer to all the brokenness we see in the world right now. Because Jesus got out, all things in this crazy world will be made right. All the injustices we see presently will be dealt with. Because Jesus is the rightful king. That's what he talks about in these verses. Who's working to set all things right. And we can trust him that he will reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 25. And the greatest enemy of all he puts under his feet and and abolishes is death. Verse 26. The future is broken into this world. Because Jesus got out. The evidence points convincingly to Jesus having told the truth. When he said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe that? Are you pinning all your hopes in this one man, Jesus? There was this retirement party for Larry Bird. And some of you are going, who's Larry Bird? That's sad, Really? Some of you go, oh, I know who he is. He's the one with the short shorts. <laughs> Sorry about that little error. But there was a retirement party for Larry Bird in the old Boston Garden. And during this party, the former Celtics coach, Casey Jones, who coached Larry Bird, told this story. He said, it was the end of the game, and we were down by one when I called the timeout. I was drawing up this play on the sidelines only to have Larry Bird dismiss it, saying, get the ball to me, everyone else get out of the way. Coach Jones says, I responded, I'm the coach, I call the plays. Then I turned to the other players and said, get the ball to Larry and everyone else get out of the way. <laughs> it was probably a good idea. And it was, they, 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 Larry Bird, what he said that he was going to do, he did, and they won the game. They staked the outcome of the game on one man. With much more at stake, are you going to pin your hope for eternal life in one man, the risen Lord? Who is it logical to invest your life in? You banking on him. So the scoreboard doesn't read death one, it reads Jesus one. Death died the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And so the question is, do we live as if this is true? I ask myself, and and here's the final statement for this morning. The resurrection is a game changer for how we live. The resurrection is a game changer for how we live. Paul continues continues with using an argument from logic. Look at verse 26. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? That's a good question. Why are people baptizing for the dead in the first place? What's going on here? Many opinions on this. I'll spare you all that. And honestly, we can't be quite sure. I believe Paul is referencing some practice they were doing in that day. And and his point isn't to condone or maybe even necessarily condemn the practice. But his point was to argue, if death is the end, then why are you doing what you're doing? It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. 
And Paul then moves it to a personal example. Look with me at verse 32. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Probably not literal, though some think so, but I think it's metaphorically speaking. He fought much opposition in Ephesus. They were like beasts. And he fought this opposition in Ephesus for his faith and the preaching of the gospel. Why? Why would he put his life at risk, face personal attacks, put up with all this opposition if this life is all there is? Why? Why is he doing all this if this life is it? If I do all that for merely human reasons, Paul says, what have I gained? And then he continues in the end of verse 35, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What if there's no afterlife? What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Well, you might as well just party hard. What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Then enjoyment of bodily pleasures is limited to this life, but go after it. You only live once. You might as well live it up. Don't bother with giving yourself to others and wasting your time on doing things for God and what Jesus asks us to do. No, but here's the truth of it. Let me just, here's the truth. That whatever you believe about the afterlife, the reality is we all have limited years, right? We can agree to that. If death is the end and there's no forever for you, then you still have limited time here on earth. But if there is an afterlife and your limited life is over, Who's the fool? And millions of people, maybe some of you here in this room, live like this. They live every day on the basis that this is the end. Church, I ask you, are you living as if this life is all, you're, all you get? Do your priorities and your schedule and your decisions and your lifestyle reflect one who believes Christ did rise from the dead or does it reflect one who believes Christ did not rise from the dead? Two choices. And as we come to another Easter, what if is a question and it cuts both ways. Because what if can be asked as a form of regret, right? Like, what if we hadn't done that? What if I never said that? What if I said yes to that opportunity? What if I said I love you one more time? What if I had been guided more by faith than by fear and we can easily get overwhelmed by regrets? What if? But the question doesn't have to be only one of regret. Instead of it being a question of missed opportunities, it can be a question of hope, a question of possibilities. What if, what if I really lived as one who believes in the risen Christ every single day and I go hard after the Lord? What if, what if I believed in the power that raised Jesus from the dead? What if, what if his power galvanized us, energized us? What if? Jesus did rise from the dead. It's a game changer. It's an everything changer. It changes my perspective. It pokes holes in my reasons for not obeying God and for not witnessing for him. It gives my life meaning and purpose because he is risen. And because he is risen, death is not final. Life is not futile. Death is not final. Life is is not futile.
Let me ask you. Why did you come to church this morning? Why did you come to church this morning? What was your expectation of the Easter service? Were you hoping to be moved emotionally? To be entertained? Perhaps you walked in this morning hoping to not be disturbed in any way. (laughs) Do not disturb. There was a contest in 2008 by Embassy Suites, and they held this Do Not Disturb contest in which contestants would come up with their own variations of these door hangers. There were were over 7,000 entries. One person submitted this variation of Do Not Disturb. They said, there's good reason for you not to knock right now. (laughs) I like that. Another entry said on this Do Not Disturb sign, instead of saying Do Not Disturb, it said, shh, I'm hatching a plan to bust some little soaps out of here. (laughs) Another one said, Pillow fight in progress. Do not disturb. But then there was this one entry. It was one of the five winners, actually. And she said, there are days when I wish I could wear this around my neck. Know that feeling? Don't disturb me. Leave me alone. I mean, don't you wish at times you had a do not disturb hotel door hanger? But let me ask you this. When it comes to your walk with the Lord, when it comes to your walk with the Lord, are you wishing to not be disturbed? Do not disturb me, Lord. Leave me alone. I got this. Don't intrude in my life. Don't interrupt my plans. I mean, if we're honest, we'd prefer a God who makes us comfortable. An unresurrected Jesus might be easier to handle. Henry Blackaby put it this way because he says God has a right to interrupt your life because he's Lord. He's risen. See, Christ is risen means that he can now show up anywhere. (laughs) The resurrected Christ means I can no longer pick and choose from his words. Because he's risen, it means that he is to be listened to. Christ is risen, changes everything. I must deal with him now. What do you do? What do you come hanging around your neck today? Do you have a do not disturb sign on your around your neck saying, do not disturb my choices, do not disturb my lifestyle, do not disturb what it is I want to do, do not disturb, Lord. But what if? What if you invited him in to disturb you? What if you let him change you in that area that has you all locked up inside? What if you allowed him to work on that area of your life, to work on your marriage? What if you handed him the game ball and got out of the way? What if? What if you released all those what ifs of regrets and lived as a forgiven person, a person loved by him? Church, I ask you, are you willing to pray? Disturb me, O Lord. Disturb me, O Lord. Let's pray.
God, whatever that looks like for each one of us in this room, including myself. May we at least dare to pray that. Not pray it, just to check out that box off. But to pray it if we really want you to do business in our lives. And think of the possibilities that could happen in our lives if we let you disturb us. If we really lived like you did rise from the dead, because you did. Speak to us, prepare us, continue to challenge us. As we close out and worship a couple of songs here, Lord, may our heart's desire be to know you better, to be used by you in a greater way, to allow you into our lives to disturb us, I pray in Jesus' name.